a branch for Christmas. Some older people tell about getting an orange in their stocking or a, or a banana in their stocking. I've never heard of banana, but you know, an apple or something. That's all we ever got. And I'm, I, I never grew up that way. But imagine getting a branch in your stocking. That's what you got. Actually, it's one of the best gifts we've ever received. And here's why. There are stories that begin with sometimes a once upon a time. Those stories we know are fairy tales. They're not true at all. Other stories start a long time ago. A long time ago, something did happen very marvelous. A long time ago, there was nothing. But then something happened. That's because the God that we worship today is a God who, because by his nature he is creator, he brought us into existence. He brought all the universe he brought everything that is into existence, that those things that are seen that are unseen. That's his very nature to create. And so he did that for us. He took nothing and he brought something about. The story of God through history can be pictured like a gardener. That's how we'll refer to God today, as a, as a gardener, a master gardener. And we're going to see different gardens through the, history, through, the, through the history of time as it unfolded that helps us understand the continuity of this master garden movement. We start with the first garden we're all well acquainted with. It can be described by the word perfection. Because a long time ago, the gardener planted a garden, Genesis 2.9, and the gardener made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There are trees of all kinds. I wish I knew my trees. Now, Tim Gephardt knows trees. If I want a question about tree, I ask Tim. I know the basic ones. I can know a maple tree and an elm tree and an oak tree and a fir tree and a few others. I don't know what all the trees were like in this first garden that God planted. I don't know what the names were, but there were certainly, there were certainly a couple in, those, in that first garden, a couple of trees that none of us have in our yards, you've never seen. One was the tree of life. It represents the source of eternal life. And somehow in that, in that early occasion, when God put that garden there, as master gardeners do, God himself got down into the dirt. He got his hands dirty. And out of the dust of the ground, the Bible tells us that he created man. 2.7 says, the gardener formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. He put that man into a deep sleep, and he made him the perfect counterpart for his life in the woman that he made for the man. And that couple shared perfect intimacy. They also had perfect intimacy with God. In fact, the Bible says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. What was that like? You may be like me, not very good at gardening, but who doesn't love a beautiful garden, right? Right? I don't know anybody that doesn't value 
the beauty of a garden. Those of us who have traveled to Heiligenkreuz, Austria, to serve with one of our mission partners, TCM, at House Edelweiss, uh, we'll take a Sunday afternoon and go to Baden nearby, and we, one of the reasons we go there is because this beautiful rose garden. We could spend our whole time there. It is such a magnificent place with thousands of roses in bloom and reflecting pools. It is a wonderful place to be. Some of you perhaps have traveled to Versailles. My wife and I have been to Versailles outside Paris and enjoyed the, the beautiful gardens there. Maybe you've been to the home of, of George Washington, Mount Vernon, and seen the beautiful gardens. Even one of our members, Dick Halfacre, lives on Vestal Road. And I love in the summer going down past his house, he has a pristine garden. Everything's always perfect in that garden. garden there's something about a garden that brings a kind of a peace peaceableness to us, a sense of rest and relaxation with that. I wonder in the conversation that God and Adam had, what did they talk about? You know, the psalmist wrote, you will keep in perfect peace those him whose mind is stayed in thee, who's steadfast in you. For Adam, he, had, he needed no help finding peace. Some of you today probably are here looking for some peace in your life in the midst of all kinds of, of problems and complexities in your life right now. And so we will yearn for peace. We will pray for peace. We will discover peace. Adam didn't know that at first. He simply knew perfect peace. But one day the gardener came came as usual to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. And instead of fighting Adam, anticipating the gardener's appearance, he was hiding from him, along with Eve, his wife. Because in that garden, there was another tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the gardener had told those he had created, no eating off this tree. Why? Because this tree represents that there is only one who is qualified to be the source of all truth. There's only one who is qualified to give the standard of right and wrong, of good and evil. That the created beings we're not qualified to determine what that truth is and what right and wrong is and what morality is. All of that can only come from the master designer, the master gardener of Eden. He said, you eat the fruit of this tree and death will enter. And so as soon as Eve and Adam ate the fruit, they knew they had sinned against their creator, their gardener, and so they hid from him. Their twisted curiosity had gotten the best of them and paradise perfect had become paradise lost and peace was shattered and the lush garden now was beginning to move into chaos and decay and weediness and thorns. And this gardener could have, could have destroyed these two people, all that he made, yet this gardener, because he's a merciful, kind, grace-filled gardener, he did not destroy them. In his mercy, he spared them because he had something better. This gardener is able to turn chaos into order and grief into joy and loss into gain and to separation into reconciliation. Indeed, he is a gardener who can take something that is ugly and make it beautiful, something that is lost, make it so it's found. He can make something dead and take something dead and make it alive, take something that seems to be nothing and turn it into something. And so this next garden we meet is this garden marked by fruitlessness. 
And the second garden we meet is not a garden of trees and vegetation, but, but a people. God formed a people for his own possession. So he called Abraham to be the father of this great nation, the Jewish nation. And there was a lot they learned for centuries until, until finally they were a nation of people and this nation demanded a king. Now, again, as I said, I don't know much about gardening. My father-in-law was a great gardener. We'd go to his house in Cincinnati, and one of the first things he'd want to do is say, hey, come look at my garden. It wasn't a very big garden, but it was one he was proud of. He loved to remind us at the table that the coleslaw was from his garden. And he wanted to comment whichever pieces that he chopped up, they were the best part of the, of the, of the, of the coleslaw. You know, I, I have been a part of planting gardens. The last thing I would want to do is show you my garden. I mean, have you ever reaped, harvested, deformed carrots? My carrots were the ugliest carrots you ever saw. Four and five would grow together. Uh, they needed to be put to death as soon as they were pulled up. Peppers were terribly malnourished. Onions barely peaked above the surface of the ground because I didn't tend them enough. So here we are in Isaiah. By Isaiah's day, God had reached his limit with Israel, his people, for his own possession. Now, he gave them every opportunity to be the people that he wanted them to be. And this few weeks, we are unwrapping Christmas in this prophet Isaiah and unwrapping Christmas is a fun thing to do, isn't it? We love to see what somebody gave us. I think I've confessed to you before that when I was a boy, my mom worked at a business office in what is now Macy's. And in her small office, she was also over gift wrapping. And you know, if you get your gift wrapped professionally, it's foil paper or that heavy paper, perfect for peeling Scott's tape off of the gifts. So when you're a kid and your gifts are hiding under your parents' bed and you get home before they do, it's the perfect time to take those boxes out and you, tear, you gently peel that tape off. You slide the box out. If it's clothing, you even try it on as I did. I folded it up and I put it back in, decided what I'd like and how I would respond when I was going to find, seemingly see it for the first time. And that tape went back perfectly on those gifts at the end. It was fun. It's always fun to unwrap presents. Now, it appears that God doesn't want us to really understand what he has done for us. But through Isaiah, we have the mystery of shaking the box, of rattling it around and wondering what's inside, even when we open up, when we unwrap it, to see possibly what he has there for us that we want to understand. Have you ever opened something and you think, what is this? Yeah, we've had that before. What is this? And so here in Isaiah, we're going we're gonna to open up at a branch in just a minute. And what we unwrap is perfect for us. This Christmas, as all Christmases, we explore the mysteries about this Messiah. Now, in the movie theater, you could go see a movie called The Man Who Invented Christmas. No man invented Christmas. Isaiah did not invent Christmas he was only the communicator of the message that God gave him to communicate. In fact, he's called the gospel prophet because there's so many prophecies that he foretells about the Messiah, over 300 of them, 
that his prophecy, even though there's a lot of judgment texts, it's ultimately about the good news of God that would come through this Messiah who would come to the earth. Now, Isaiah writes these things and announces these things some 700 years before Jesus was ever born, but it reveals God's plan to rescue us. So in Isaiah's words, Israel itself is a kind of garden, a garden that God calls a vineyard. Chapter 5, Isaiah's prophecy. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. In verse 7, he writes, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. The people of Judah are the vines he delighted on. Now, delighted in. Now, years earlier, David, David was called to be the second king of Israel. The first king didn't turn out so well, King Saul. But David was described as a man after God's own heart. And if all the other kings would have just followed the pattern that David had set, the whole story would have been written differently. But all the, almost all the other kings after David were wicked, evil kings. And time after time, God gave them opportunity to repent of their sins, and judgment would come. And finally, God got to a place where he was so disappointed with all of this that the garden that, he, that Israel was to be, the vineyard, was weed-infested as well. It was, a, it was a tangled mess. Now, God had said... In 2 Samuel 7, 16, to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. But Israel just kind of took that without any sense of responsibility. They were to bear fruit for God, for this master gardener. They were the ones that were to show the other nations that there's only one gardener worth serving and, and, and whose fruit is the best and the choices of fruits. But due to their own arrogance, due to idolatry, due to the fruitlessness of their garden, God finally had to do something. They had forgotten their role. God's vineyard was to bear fruit, but they weren't bearing fruit. They were to care for the poor, but instead they were taking advantage of the poor. They were to be compassionate toward those who are weak, but they ended up Forgetting about the weak and the disenfranchised and the marginalized in their culture. They became self-insured, and this garden was infested with all kinds of spiritual disease. So the gardener addresses the vineyard, Israel, further in chapter 5. What more could have been done for my vineyard than what I've done for it? When I looked for good groups, grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. In other words, I'm not going to protect you anymore, and it will be destroyed. And that's what happened. Invading nations came in, and God refused to protect his people because of their arrogance and stubbornness. I will break down its walls. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, never, prune, never pruned or cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So two key dates in Old Testament history are 586 B.C., and at 722, first 722 BC, Israel's time period, God allowed the Assyrians to come in and take a bulk of his people away into captivity. About 150 years later, the Babylonians came in, and they should have learned from Israel's destruction, but they didn't. 
and they bowed to the foreign kings, and they themselves were led away into captivity as well. And so Isaiah foretells destruction at God's command. The Bible says in Isaiah 5, Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down to the flames, so their roots will decay, de decay, and their flowers blow away like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. So this lush garden that Israel was to be had become so infested, now it was left barren. It was left absolutely fruitless. But you know, it's more than a story in the Bible. It's more than the movement of God in human history past. It is our story. It's your story and mine. Because when we were born into this world, we were born not under original sin or with original sin, but with original grace. We were born sinless and perfect and pure. But it wasn't long before the sin nature came out and we were those rotten little two-year-olds. And our sin nature was seen through and through. And we continue to push against authority, against anyone telling us how to live. And what happens is our, life gets to the, our lives get to the place where we are barren and we are fruitless because we've lived lives our own way. Does your story feel like that at today at all? If you are distant from Christ, if you are not in Christ today, maybe you feel like your life is barren and fruitless. Or maybe, maybe you're a believer in Jesus Maybe you have followed him to so ex some extent, but you've never really surrendered. You're a faithful church attender. You know that you try to be a good person, but there is something lacking because the fullness of God has never been welcomed into your life. That happens so easily, friends. We can be so surrounded by religious symbols and suggestions, but we never really are crucified with Christ. And we can never know the full fruitfulness. And we let... We let, we let all the other encumbrances of this life enter in. And we wake up one day and say, what, where, where's the meaning of my, where's the fruit of my life? What am I doing for God? And our lives, we see, are wrecked. There's, there are weeds. There's infestation. There's disease. It seems too difficult to repent and confess. So we just go on pretending for a while. But Isaiah also foretells of hope. Israel is a stump. It's cut off. You ever felt like a stump? There are occasions of our lives that we feel like we're nothing but a stump. Israel seemed like a stump. But you know, all the while, God was still not finished with something he was going to do. Tucker, would you come up here a minute and take what's out in the box? I'm calling Tucker up because I always forget his name. And I think if I have him come up, I won't forget his name anymore. Sorry, Tucker. So would you open that box and uh, just lift up what's in there? There's the stump. This is Israel, just a stump. The stump of Jesse, chapter 11 says, like a sawed-off stump of no good, no worth, no value. And out of that, the prophet Isaiah said, there's going to be a tender shoot. 11.1 1 says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. So out of David's line, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 4.2 says, and that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. He says, in that day. Which day? When the Messiah comes. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Thanks, Tucker. Just sit down there. He says, the survivors in Israel... 
You know, there was always a remnant. There was always a remnant in Israel, always, that, were, that lived for the hope. They believed God wasn't done with them. The bulk of the nation fell. Always a remnant. Just like those of us in the world today, most of the world are not believers in God, the gardener, our creator. They're not followers of Jesus, but there is a remnant who are sold out, and that's us. That's why we're here today. That's why we keep holding on in the midst of a, a, dark, a dark culture and society. Sometimes even your life can appear dormant. And you wonder, is God done? I feel like a sawed-off stump. I feel like I had my chance. How can I come back? Friends, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God will always, he's a master. He's a master at taking what appears to be dead and breathing life. That's what he is so very good at. And so in time, the Messiah would come, Jesus. The Nazarene, the, the, the word Nazarene in the Hebrew language finds even a connection with a Hebrew word that means twig or shoot. In the midst of barrenness and hopelessness and weeds, a tender shoot was planted in human history. Aren't you thankful Jesus didn't come as a weed whacker? He didn't come as a bulldozer or a pest control expert? No, he came tender. Not weak, tender. Strong, yet gentle and kind. He would be tested in a garden himself. When he sweat drops of blood and he prayed, Fathers, of any other way for this suffering to go past me, let it be done, but not my will. I want to do your will. And so he left the Garden of Gethsemane, determined to do what his father sent him to do, die on, die on the cross for our sins. And so that leads us to the third garden marked by fruitfulness. Isaiah 11 says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That is the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Are you dreading Christmas? Do you feel like your life's gone too far, that you've roamed too far from him? You wonder whether you should even be in church today based on what your life looked like this week? There's no better place for any of us to be than right here, right now, regardless of how your week went. If you blew it last night at some party, still the best place to be is right here, being reminded of the love and grace of God today. He's not done with you. He's not done with any of us, praise God. Our logo as a church is a tree. Have you noticed? It's a little tree. I don't know how long we've had that logo, a couple decades, I think. And probably in time, it's going to look outdated. But you know, the tree as a logo will always be fitting as a logo for this church or any church. Because being, having life in Jesus, is, that's what life is about. It's, about. it's about being rooted in Him. It's about bearing fruit for Him. It's about growing in Him. It's about Him never being done with us. Always have something more. When Jesus was here, remember, He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So not only does he come across, come present first as the branch, but then he shares that metaphor with us that we are branches that bear fruit. And he says, in, that, in the midst of what he's teaching there, he says, remain in me, abide in me. Anybody feel like you're just hanging on today? 
Is there anybody here that feels like you're just hanging on by a thread? The very best thing you can do today is remain in him. And if you just make that decision alone, today I'm just going to remain in Jesus. God will work with that. He'll work with that. You may not feel like reading your Bible. You may not feel like praying. You may have be encumbered by guilt. But if you can say today, look, I just want to be in him. God will take that decision, and he will do bigger things than you can think or imagine. He says, you can't bear fruit without me. Now, can you do some good things without Jesus? Sure you can. Lots of people do good things without Jesus, but it's not fruit that will last. The only fruit that will last is the fruit that was done in his name and for his glory, even if your life feels barren. So the fourth garden, then, is a garden of restoration, restoration. You remember, a lot of you remember back in 1980 when Mount St. Helens blew, it erupted, leaving such devastation in the state of Washington. It even burned the soil so that rocks were exposed, covered with ash. I mean, things, things were just, there was ruination. A naturalist wondered how long it would take for all the vegetation to rebuild. One particular Naturalist was there in an area, and he saw wildflowers and ferns and other vegetation growing in a certain area that was unusually green, and he looked more closely, and all the vegetation that was growing at that spot was in the shape of an elk. Out of that organic material of an animal that had been ruined by lava and ash came life. What happened for us 2,000 years ago, friends, was the same thing. That Jesus was buried. But out of that one death, life has sprung up around the world today through people who have claimed him as Lord of life. And you know, the same thing happens when you lay down your life for him, when you die to self, and you allow yourself to be crucified with Christ. What he does is immeasurable because of the fruit that he brings forth. And so we anticipate, we in Christ anticipate this new Eden. It's told to us in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Ever seen a tree like that? A tree that grows on the same side, on two sides of the same river. And this tree bears fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, no longer where there will be any curse. We know we live in a desolate world, don't we? We know we live in a dark world, impossible to bear fruit alone. And yet in Jesus, we come to God's garden. We come to God's garden. That's what he's preparing us for. We are bearing fruit now in anticipation of the restored garden. When all of this earth, all of anything in material existence is going to be burned with fire. And God's going to create a new heaven, a new earth, paradise reestablished, found for the glory of God. How can that happen? Because God is a master at taking nothing and making something. If you want to be who you were designed to be today, 
Stay in Jesus. Let him be the master designer and gardener of your life. You'll never regret laying down your life for him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful image of Jesus as the branch. In spite, Father, of the deadness of our lives, in spite of all the wrong, the sins we've committed, you have brought us to new life. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your power to do that. And I pray for anyone in this assembly today who is not who has not prepared for what you have for our future, that this Christmas season will be the time for true change and welcoming you into the master gardener of their lives. May you be praised and glorified forever and ever through your exalted son. Amen. So if you have not been baptized into Jesus Christ, let us walk with you to what real new life is. You'll have no regrets. God is so worthy of our worship. Let's stand and do that now.